Praise the Lord. Well, I've been teaching a series this week that I've called The War is Over. And I've covered a lot of things. This is kind of a compilation of many different things that I've taught, but I believe that putting together the way I have has helped. Uh, I've referred to this a number of times during this series, that, you know, this is something that is not being taught in the church as a general whole, that, of course, there are people just like those that are here that are great churches that are teaching the Word of God, but I'm saying as a whole, the church of God is not preaching the true gospel. And there needs to be a reformation in the church today, just like there was back in the 1500s or whenever Martin Luther came around. I guarantee you the church is not preaching some of these truths. And just to illustrate that point, let me read this little survey that Barna came out with. This came out in, um, this was conducted between the years 2000 and 2001. There was 6,038 adults interviewed 95% confidence level that this is an accurate representation of the American public. And here's some of the um, questions like, uh, how many of you strongly agree that your religious faith is very important? Did you know that overall 68% of Americans said that their religious faith is very important? But then listen to what their religious faith is. Here's one of the questions. How many of you... um, strongly disagree that Satan is just a symbol of evil. Did you know that there was only 27% of all of these people who said their religious faith was very important, who didn't believe, uh, I mean, who believe that Satan is a real person to be reckoned with? That means that, what's that, 63%? No, more than that, 73% of the American public Uh, believes that Satan is not real, that it's not a real factor. Here was an amazing question. Um, People that believe that a good person that does enough good things will enter into heaven. Did you know that there was um, 70% of the American public that believed that a person who does good things would go to heaven? And listen to this. Among Catholics... There was 91% of all Catholics believe that a person who does good things and and does does good, uh, you know, is as good as they can be will go to heaven. Among um, the Mormons, there was uh, 85% of the people who believe that a good person will go to heaven. Um, Episcopals, 74% of Episcopals. Lutheran, there was 73%. Uh, non-denominational Christians, there was um, 40% of those. And even among Pentecostals and stuff, 38% of Pentecostals believe a person who just does good would go to heaven. Presbyterians, 69% of those people believe that a good person will go to heaven. And we could go on and on and talk about all this stuff. But you know what this says is that among those who are surveyed and said that religion is very important to them, the vast majority of those people, one of those questions was about how many of you believe that the Bible is, the things that it teaches are true. And uh, there was only 40% of the American public that believe that the Bible is true. You know what? We've lost a lot of ground as far as foundational belief systems. And the things that I've been teaching on are basically against you trying to earn the favor of God. I've been countering that. 
and talking about this. And a lot of this wrong teaching has come from the church. The church is the one that has been pounding into people that you are bad and you, uh, God accepts you or rejects you based on your performance. If you want God to move in your life, you've got to do this. You've got to go to church. You've got to pay your tithes. You've got to do this, this, and this. And God moves in your life proportional to your performance. I've had people come into my prayer lines by the hundreds or thousands. And I've asked people many times, what's wrong with you? What do you need? And I've had people say things like, I just don't understand why God hasn't healed me. I fast. I pay my tithes. I go to church. I'm as good as I can. I'm doing everything I know. How come God hasn't healed me? Did you know anybody who says something like that has revealed why God hasn't healed them? Because they didn't point to what Jesus did for them, but they are pointing to what they have been doing for Jesus. And guess where they got that from? The church. We've misrepresented God and it's reflected in these statistics. And I tell you, there needs to be a radical transformation. Amen? So I've been countering this, and we've taught a lot of things. If any of you, this is your first night, you need to get those CDs of this teaching because I believe it would really make a difference in your life if you could get hold of these truths. Let's turn over to 1 John tonight, and I'm going to end this by uh, going through the book of 1 John and sharing some things with you that the Lord has shown me out of this book. We've been showing that God has already placed all of our sin Upon Jesus, Jesus has paid for the sins, not only of believers, but even of unbelievers. Sins have been paid for. God isn't angry. God is not judging us for our sin. Jesus drew all judgment unto himself. And that God is really just dealing with people based on whether or not they make Jesus their Lord. It's all a matter about what we do with Jesus. If people go to hell, they're going to go to hell not for individual sins, but because they rejected Jesus. And if they have accepted Jesus, well, then they have a relationship with God. And I shared with uh, the group during this week that um, all sins, past, present, and even future tense sins have been paid for. You aren't going to do anything that's going to surprise Jesus or that hasn't already been dealt with. Every time you sin, you don't have to go and get the blood reapplied or get that sin confessed and back under the blood and you're out of fellowship or out of relationship with God until you do so. Those are things that are being taught, but that is not, I believe, what the Scripture teaches at all. And so all of these things that I've been teaching, really, the main thrust of it, the major benefit of it, is if you understand that Jesus has suffered for us, He's paid all of our sins, that He's not angry with us, He'll never be wroth, He'll never rebuke us again. And if you understand all of these things we've talked about, it basically comes down to that it just allows us to have a new relationship, a new degree of love with God is what it all amounts to. And the Bible says in Galatians 5, 6 that faith works by love. So when you understand how much God loves you, your faith should go through the roof. It should affect every area of your life. And this is basically what the book of 1 John is written all about. In verse 1, it says, this is chapter 1, verse 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full." 
Now basically what he's doing is introducing why he's writing this and he's basically saying we're writing this so that you could get a revelation of Jesus and so that you could have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father. We are writing this so that you could have fellowship with God. So this is all talking about the exact same thing that we've been dealing with and this is actually the goal of Christianity. You know, I wished I could just unplug right here and teach on... I've got a a tape entitled Eternal Life. And if you don't have that teaching, I'd encourage you to get it. I had one of my employees one time who had been born again about five years and had listened to every tape I'd ever made. But he says, you know, I just want to boil it all down. If you only had one shot to minister to people, what would you minister? I'd minister this teaching called Eternal Life. That's what it's all about. And I'd love to teach that right now, but I'm going to go on and share some other things. But if you don't have that, you ought to get it because that's really what it's all about. It's just relationship with God. And if you really understood how much God loved you, it would just increase your relationship with God. It would go through the roof. And then as you come to know God, He would reveal things to you. Everything else would flow out of this. And so this is why He said, I'm writing this book so that you would come into a deeper revelation of God, have fellowship with God, and your joy would be made full. And there are people trying to find joy in every way. Out in the world and even in the church, people are looking for joy through everything, but they don't have a depth of relationship with God. That's what it all all boils down to. So let me just skip through some verses. Go down to the second chapter. And in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Now, I'm going to start going through some scriptures right here that on the surface look a little bit contrary to some of the things that I've been saying. And that's the exact reason I want to deal with this because if I don't deal with it, you'll go read these things. And there is a condition that exists in the body of Christ that I call spiritual dyslexia. You know, dyslexia is where you see things backwards. If you see the word God, G-O-D, to a dyslexic person, it's, it's uh, did I say that wrong? All right, if if you see the word God, G-O-D, a dyslexic person sees it as D-O-G. There is a huge difference between God and dog. But dyslexia causes people to just have everything reversed in their mind. Well, there is a spiritual dyslexia that religion has given us. You get it through close contact with religion. It's contagious. And... It's amazing how people have turned these verses around and they read this and they see this as a performance-based scripture. They see this, like for instance in verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. People read this and think, well, I want to know Him, so what do I have to do? Well, I've got to keep the commandments. If I keep the commandments, that's how I'll know Him. That's not what this is saying. It's saying the exact opposite of this. This isn't saying that keeping the commandments will cause you to know God, but it's saying you can tell whether you really know God because knowing God will cause you to keep the commandments. If you truly are in fellowship with God, if you truly love God and if God's love is flowing through you, you'll find out that you will begin to start loving other people. You know, one of the criticisms that I have against a lot of things that people teach, and especially in the area of like uh, marriage seminars. People have marriage seminars. And uh, anyway, I don't want to get off on that. I'll, I'll spend a lot of time on that if I do. Let me just say this real quickly. That you know what? 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you couldn't have gone to a marriage seminar if they even had such 
it would have been impossible to go to one and hear people talk about communication and sharing your feelings and doing things like that. I guarantee you, it wouldn't have ever been taught. That was not a part of the equation. Somebody, well, are you against communication? No, I think communication is important. If you never talk to your mate, I guarantee you it's going to hinder things. You do need to talk. But that is dealing with a byproduct of a problem. Communication itself is not the problem. And what happens is people go to these marriage seminars and they're taught how to communicate. Vent it. Let it out. Don't hold anything in. Talk about it. Get it out. They teach them how to write notes and how to write letters. And all that happens is people now are communicating their anger and their hatred very well. And now they know how to say it better. And I have had lots of people come to my marriage seminars that say, you know what? That communication nearly killed my marriage. Communication isn't the problem. Communication is a symptom of the problem. You know what the problem is? People, first of all, don't have the love of God for themselves. They don't know an unconditional love. They think that God is just giving them what they deserve. Every time they mess up, God rejects them. And you know what? People tend to turn around and give what they have. You cannot give away what you don't have. And so people can't love other people unconditionally because, first of all, they don't know the love of God. If you ever experience God loving you unconditionally, not based on your performance, and if you got a true revelation of that and had a relationship with God, you would be able to love your mate unconditionally. And when you do love your mate unconditionally, you would wind up communicating it. If you truly love a person, you'll communicate it. It's that simple. But instead of going to the root of the problem, we're teaching techniques and teaching all of these things and doing little things and having people give away stuff and all this and... You know, again, there is a place for those kind of things, but it is not the root of the problem. And this is, this is what this is talking about. If you want to know, do you really love God? Do you really have the love of God? If you really love God, if God's love is in you, God's love will cause you to live right. It will cause you to treat other people right. But people with spiritual dyslexia, religion has gotten us to where instead we think, well, I want to know God, so you know what? I'm going to try and keep the commandments. So we try and do everything right, thinking that doing right will produce us loving God. It's just the opposite. If you aren't loving God, you know what you need to do is not start trying to love God better or love people better and treat people better. Instead, what you ought to do is go to God and say, God, you know what? This is an evident proof to me that I really do not know your love for me. If I really understood how much you love me, if I was in relationship with you, I wouldn't treat people like this. God, forgive me for not knowing you. God, reveal yourself to me. Lord, help me to understand your love. And if you ever get filled with the love of God, I guarantee you, you will treat other people better. You will treat people good. If you aren't keeping the commandments and if you're treating people bad, it's because you don't know God. Those are two different things. Exactly opposite. Look in the next verse. In verse 4 it says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. People say, well, I don't want to be a liar. I want to operate in the truth, so what do I have to do? I have to keep the commandments. No, that's not what this is saying. This is saying that if you really say that you know God, but there, it isn't being manifest through your actions to other people, then you're just deceiving yourself because knowing God, having an intimate relationship with God will cause you to love other people. 
Are you all getting this? Can you see that there's a difference in what I'm saying? In the next verse, in verse 5, But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected, and hereby we know that we are in him. So people say, well, man, I want God's love perfected, so what I've got to do is um, keep his word. So if I just keep his word, then the love of God will be perfected. No, it's saying just the opposite. If God's love was perfected in you, that will cause you to keep the word of God. I know that this is simple if you see it, but if you don't see it, it's like one of those pictures that you hang on the wall that is a, you know, a geometric pattern or something and you look at it and on the surface it just looks like some pattern. But if you stare at it, all of a sudden a 3D image comes out and once you see it, you can't miss it. But until you see it, you look at it and people are saying, did you see that bird in there? And say, man, I don't see a bird. This is the way it is. People look at this and they just can't understand this. They think that this is saying that we've got to keep the commandments so that we can have the love of God. No, it's saying that if you understood the love of God and if you had a relationship with God, that would cause you to keep the commandments. Living holy is a fruit, not a root of relationship with God. It's a byproduct of a relationship with God. So we must, must, must get a revelation of how God loves us unconditionally before we can keep the commandments. If you try and teach people that keep the commandments and then God will love you and then God will accept you and then God will answer your prayer, you are trying to get people to do something that they're incapable of doing. You cannot give away what you don't have. How can you possibly... Let me say it this way. The Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. It is absolutely, physically, humanly impossible to turn the other cheek to a person who's just slapped you and love him. If somebody takes you to court and sues you and takes away some of your goods, instead of just giving him part, say, well, here, just take the whole thing. That's what Jesus said to do. If somebody sues you, if somebody compels you to go a mile, go two miles... That's not just hard to do, that's impossible to do. Human nature doesn't respond that way. Human nature wants to defend itself and fight and hurt somebody else, do whatever you've got to do. You know what? God has asked us to do things that are absolutely impossible to do. And so, you first of all have to have relationship with God. And then it's like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's not me living, but it's Christ living in me. And all of a sudden, when you have relationship with God and you understand His perfect love and you've received His unconditional love, then you're able to turn around and forgive somebody else because you have been forgiven. You're able to turn around and love other people that don't deserve it because you've understood that God has loved you that way. But by and large, we haven't been doing that. We've been telling people to start doing what's right and then if you will do enough good stuff, God will love you and accept you and all these things will work. That's impossible. People can't live up to that standard and it drives people away. I was talking to a woman this morning who, I mean this afternoon out here, whose father raised them in a Pentecostal church, spoke in tongues, said that she heard her dad speaking in tongues. She got baptized in the Holy Ghost recently and her dad just cried. He was so excited that she got it. But anyway, he fell back into drinking and right now he's not serving God and he's having problems. And she was asking me what to do about it. And I don't know all the reasons, but he was a Pentecostal. And I can guarantee you part of that problem is that he's been trying to do what's right all of his life. And he just failed. 
It's impossible to do this. And now he's got all of this condemnation and all of this guilt. He's still sensitive to God when he saw his daughter receive the baptism. Tears rolled down his cheek. He loves it. But you know what? He just cannot live up to the standard. And all of that condemnation is beating him down. That is not the way we're supposed to minister to people. That is not the way that the Word of God was intended to operate. We're supposed to come into relationship with God and receive the love of God. And then the love of Christ constrains you, is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The love of Christ will just flow through you. Man, I wish I, could, I, wish I had a better way of making people understand what I'm saying because this is just backwards to the way that everybody has thought for so long. It's like... We've been taught this so often and so much that it's like going down a road that you, you know, a dirt road that the ruts are so deep you just can't miss it. Every time you go down that road, you just fall into the same ruts. People just automatically fall into the same thought patterns because it's been said so often and so loud and so much. But this is different than the way that people are thinking today. You know, in my own personal life, I got born again when I was eight years old. And I mean, I got converted in the third grade. They made fun of me for being a Christian the next day. It was a genuine conversion. I loved God with all of my heart. But I fell into this trap of thinking I had to do something to get God to love me. And so I was always doing things. But I didn't really have a real revelation of God's love for me. I would have said God loved me, but I didn't truly uh, understand it. And I was always trying to do something to get God to love me more. I was talking to somebody here. I think it was Paul Milligan or somebody. But I was talking about uh, rededicating our life. And we'd hold a meeting for seven nights. And I'd go down every night and rededicate myself. I rededicated myself every time they had a service. If I'd have had a rededicator, I'd have broken it. I was always seeking after God. I always wanted something, but I, was, I thought that I had to do something to get God to love me. And so I was an introvert by nature. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. When I was a senior in high school, people walked down the street and say good morning, and it'd be two blocks down the street, and I'd say good morning. I couldn't talk to people. I was an introvert. And I had all these problems, but because I was told that you have to do all of these things, and if you'll do enough good things, then God will accept you. You know what? I actually, even though I was an introvert, I psyched myself up. I took the soul winning courses, and I went out and knocked on doors every Thursday night, which was adults' visitation, and I got so zealous that I started a special Tuesday night visitation. I trained other people, and when I was 13 and 14 years old, I was leading three and four people, quote-unquote, to the Lord every week. I'd have them repeat a prayer after me, and I'd go back to church with their scalp and show everybody that what I did, trying to gain approval and acceptance and things like this. And I was doing all of this stuff, trying to get God to love me. And I'd go out and make three or four visits on Thursday and three or four visits on Tuesday and just thinking I was doing a great service. I read my Bible every day. I never missed a church service. I did things like that, all trying to get God to love me. But then on March the 23rd, 1968, I had this experience where God showed me he loved me. And first of all, he showed me that I was a zero with the rim knocked off. 
He showed me my self-righteousness, showed me that all of the stuff I was taking pride in was an offense to him because I was trusting in myself and my own goodness. And I honestly thought God was going to kill me. I mean, for an hour and a half, I turned myself inside out and just confessed, God, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know how bad I was. I didn't know what a religious Pharisee I was. So I repented of all that. I expected God to kill me. And that's not an exaggeration. I honestly thought God was going to kill me that night. I thought that when I saw how bad I was, that that's the first time God knew how bad I was. <laughs> and uh, under the logic that I had that he deals with us based on our performance, I deserved to be killed. And I just confessed everything, hoping that, you know, if he did kill me, I wouldn't go to hell. I'd go to heaven instead. And to my surprise, after confessing all of that, the love of God just poured out in my life for about four and a half months. I was just gone someplace. I was caught up in the love of God. I mean, tangibly, I knew that God loved me. It was awesome. And anyway, I could say a lot of things about that, but I knew that God loved me. And what, what did that cause? I knew that God's love for me was unconditional. I knew that there was nothing I did to deserve it and I knew that there was nothing I could ever do to make God not love me. His love for me was totally disconnected from me. It was separate from anything I deserved. All I, the only thing I had to do was either receive it or reject it. But God loved me passionately with completely separate from anything I deserve. When I saw that, did you know it didn't make me want to serve God less? Now, I did quit the Thursday night visitation and the Tuesday night visitation. You know why? Because I realized I was making an extra three to six, maybe eight visits a week inviting people to church, and I was letting hundreds of people every day go. And so what I did, I quit going out special on Tuesday and Thursday nights, and I started talking to everything that moved. I mean, I witnessed daylight to, day, to dark. We were knocking on a hundred doors a day. I actually at one time made a commitment that I would never see a person that I wouldn't talk to him about Jesus. And did you know for nearly a year, I kept that. And finally, I got into Viet, I mean, I got drafted and I remember having to stand at attention and seeing hundreds of people march by and I couldn't talk to them. And I thought, God... <laughs> I'm going to have to renege on this. It just, I can't feasibly do it. But for nearly a year, I talked to every person. We'd go into a restaurant. I'd stand up and pray over everybody's food at the top of my lung. And they'd look at me and I'd say, you need your food blessed too. I was obnoxious, but you know what? I saw people born again doing that. I'd see them coming out of a 7-Eleven store with a pack of cigarettes or something. And I'd tell them, man, you're going to hell. You need to repent. Now, it was legalism, but I'm saying that it was motivated by love. And I just didn't know any other way to do it. That's the way that everybody did it that I was exposed to. But here's my point. Instead of me now trying to feel like I had to do something to get God's love, now I understood that God loved me. And instantly, I started sharing with people. I started witnessing to people. I just gave my life trying to share this love with other people. If you truly fall in love with God, nobody's going to have to preach to you about go out and share your faith. You need to tell somebody about the Lord. You know, if you're a pastor in a church, if you minister in a church, and if you're having to motivate your people to go out, and why don't you share your faith? Why don't you talk to people at work? Why don't you do this? How come you don't share and do this? You know, that's just a symptom of a problem. The problem is that they haven't really received the love of God. 
they don't truly, truly, truly know how much God loves them. Or I guarantee you, you cannot keep your mouth shut once you understand how much God loves you. So what do you do? Do you use condemnation and say, if you don't witness, someday you're going to stand before God and you aren't going to have any stars in your crown and you're going to be embarrassed. And so people go out and start knocking on doors, not because they love anybody, but it's because they love themselves and they don't want to be embarrassed. And so they're doing it out of fear and condemnation. It comes across like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal because there's no love in it. And people get offended and get turned off because of the fanatics that are out there saying, repent or else, turn or burn. And the problem is, is they aren't doing it motivated out of love. They are doing it trying to obtain God's love, trying to earn God's favor. If we just tell people about the love of God and tell them how good God is, and if they ever got a revelation of that, I guarantee you they'll go tell everybody. It's different motivations. It's the same thing we're trying to get people to do, but different motivations. Look at this down here in the seventh verse. It says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Now this sounds a little bit confusing. He says this isn't a new commandment. It's the old commandment. Same thing you've heard from the beginning. And then he turns right around and he says it is a new commandment. Which is it? Is it an old commandment or a new commandment? It's both. What he's saying is, he's not really, none of the rules have changed. It's not that you aren't supposed to love God and worship God and study the word and pray and seek him. It's not that you aren't supposed to love people and treat them right. It's the same thing that the Old Testament said, but now it is a different motivation. It is a brand new commandment because now instead of commanding you to do this, God's saying love him and love people. And as you do that, you will automatically do these things. Did you know you'd never lie to a person if you truly loved them? I don't know if any of you have ever thought about this stuff, but when you lie, you are manipulating a person. You are changing the facts. You are taking advantage of them. You would never lie to a person if you truly loved them because it is, it's making that person act on false information. It's going to make a fool out of them. You're taking advantage of them. When you lie, you are operating in nothing but self-love. You don't care another person care about the other person. You're going to do what it takes to take advantage of them. Did you know if you really loved another person, you'd never steal from anybody? If you ever steal from somebody, whether it's your boss or whether it's somebody else, nobody would ever steal if you truly loved the other person. But you don't give a rip about them. You don't know what their situation is and you don't care. All it is, you want something and you're going to take it. All you're doing is thinking about yourself. All thievery is total self-love. It's not loving other people. If you truly loved other people, you'd never gossip about them. You'd never say things behind their back that could ever hurt them. But you know what? If they find out what you've said, then all of a sudden you're, you're ashamed and you don't want to say it anymore. Why? Not because you cared anything about them. All you care about is yourself and you will say anything that advantages you, anything that you feel like. You just don't care about other people. And the only time it bothers you is if it's going to cost you something, if it's going to make you look bad. If you loved people, you wouldn't gossip, you wouldn't steal, you wouldn't lie. You wouldn't treat people the way that you do. If we truly loved God, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have to force people to study the Word, to go to church, to do anything. 
The bottom line is that it's, it's, we're still telling people you need to love God and do all of these things, but it's a brand new motivation. We haven't, I'm not telling people that we shouldn't be serving God and that we shouldn't be witnessing. I'm just saying that first of all, you need to receive the love of God. God's not going to love you more if you do everything right. And he's not going to love you less if you do everything wrong. And if you could ever get a revelation of that and receive the love of God, the love of God would cause you to live holy. Look over in 1 John chapter 4. I know I'm skipping a lot of verses. But look at this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. People say, well, man, I want to be born of God, and I want to know God, so what do I have to do? I have to love everybody else. No, this is saying the opposite. It's saying that if you know God, then you will be born of God, and you will love other people. Keeping the commandments, doing these things is the byproduct, not the way to relationship with God. Verse 8, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. People say, well, man, I don't want to, you know, not know God, so what do I have to do? I have to love other people. No, this is saying the opposite. It's saying that if you would just understand God's love for you and come to know God, then you would wind up loving because God is love. If you're filled with God, you're going to be filled with love. Isn't that simple? Verse 9, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Boy, that's a great truth. Did you know what? You don't, first of all, love God, and then He loves you back. But herein is love. God, first of all, loved us. You have to first of all receive the love of God. You cannot give away what you don't have. You can't treat other people right if you think God is treating you wrong. If you think God is dealing with you based on your performance, you're going to wind up reproducing that same thing and give other people what they deserve. And you're going to be mean as a snake. I read an email recently and somebody was... Uh, talking about how that uh, person went through some kind of a religious school and came out and they turned from a sweet person to just a mean person. That's what religion does because that's what they're teaching that God is. God is a harsh God. In some of these Bible colleges, I won't mention names, if men don't wear their, their shirt sleeve down to their wrist, they're going to hell. Did you know that wearing this color of a shirt would get me cut, kicked out of one Bible college because this is the color of the beast? And things like this, that's just legalism. And if you think that that's the way that God is and God's mad at you because of the way you dress, people say you can't put on any makeup, you can't wear any jewelry. And they base that on 1 Peter chapter 3 where it tells the women not to let their adorning be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair or the putting on of gold. And they say that you shouldn't fix your hair fancy and you shouldn't put wear, wear gold. Well, if they just keep reading, it says, nor the putting on of apparel. Does that mean you aren't supposed to wear clothes? No, that's not what this is saying. It's just saying don't make your focus on the outward part. Man, I've seen women before Pentecostal ladies that would put on five layers of powder so that they would look like they didn't have rosy cheeks. They just naturally had rosy cheeks. So they put on all of this powder and go to all of this effort to look bland and ugly. Man, I believe if your barn needs painting, paint it. And if it needs two coats, give it two coats. Praise God. 
That's not what the Lord's talking about. It says in verse 10, it says, or verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. So people say, well, man, I want God to dwell in me and I want his love to be perfected. So what do I have to do? We have to love each other. No, this is saying just the opposite. If you would receive the unconditional love of God and let that love dwell in you, you would wind up loving other people is what this is saying. In verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And we could just go on and on and on with this. The book of 1 John, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, it's going to look like you've got to do these things, and then God does this. But it's actually saying just the opposite. It's saying that if you truly knew God, that you would wind up living a holy life. And so, you know what? I don't believe that living holy earns us favor with God. But if people come to me and say, oh yeah, I know God. Boy, God and I are just like this. I fellowship with God. I love God with all of my heart. We are best friends. But you know what? If they don't trust God in their giving, if they are lying and stealing and and committing adultery, I'm not talking about an isolated instance, but I'm saying that that's just their whole lifestyle. They're just out here living like the devil. They can say whatever they want to, but you know what? I don't believe that they know God because that doesn't reflect God in a person's life. So somebody says, well, isn't that undoing everything you're saying? No, I think it's a perfect balance to it. Our holiness doesn't make God love us. But if God's love is dwelling in us, and if we are dwelling in it, it will cause you to live holy. Now you have to define holiness here. This doesn't necessarily mean it'll cause you to live by some religious sex principles, because all of those things that they say are holy aren't holy. But it will cause you to love God, and it will cause you to love people. You won't mistreat people. And a person who says, oh, I really know God. We just have a great relationship and yet you're mean as a snake. You're mean to people. You don't love other people. You don't ever do anything. You don't care about anybody else. You can see people in need and not even care about it. You can say what you want to, but it goes on to say right here, he that sees his brother or sister in need and shut up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in you? You can say that you love God, but the truth is you can tell by your actions whether God's love is really dwelling in you. So the point I'm trying to get across tonight is that, you know what, instead of having this mindset that I've got to earn the blessing of God by doing these things, you need to recognize that living properly and treating other people right and loving your mate and seeing all these things happen, those are byproducts of relationship with God. And if you find that you've got a temper and that you fly off the handle and that you do all of these things, instead of saying, oh God, help me to quit this and you're trying to get delivered of your temper and you start trying to treat people right so that God will love you, instead reverse the thing and just say, Father, you know the reason I'm like this is because I don't really know you. I don't really know your love. I'm just treating people the way I think that you treat me. God, I need a revelation of your love for me. 
And if you would take the things we've talked about, that all of your sins have been paid for, that God's not angry at you, and if you would go to meditating on that, you know what had happened through these scriptures, through this, uh, these truths that I've shared with you, God would reveal His love to you. And once you fall in love with God, once God's love begins to flow in your life, I guarantee you it will cause you to live holy. You will have your fruit unto everlasting life, unto holiness. It's not the root of salvation. And I really believe that this is where religion is going wrong. The Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. This is one way you can tell if it's religion or if it's true Christianity. Religion is always going to look on the external person and try and get you to clean up the outside and to fix this and quit doing that because that's what mankind looks at and deals with and they don't really care about the heart. As long as you come to church and pay your tithes and dress the way that they want you to when you're at church, they don't care what you do during the week. It doesn't matter if your heart's right or not. Religion just deals with the external but God deals with the heart of man. And the Lord wants to come in and touch your heart and reveal His love to you. And if that ever happens, then I can guarantee you that the rest will be taken care of. You know, I remember Jamie and I pastored this little church in uh, Childress, Texas. And we had, uh, I don't know, we had a small group out at the park one day. And we were having a, a picnic type of thing. And there was a couple there that were in this pickup and they had been living in the back of the pickup and they came over and were begging for food. And it turned out that this couple had lived in a nudist colony for three years. They had a little girl that was a year or two old and uh, anyway they had left the nudist colony and they were totally broke. They had run out of gas in this city park and we were there having a picnic. So they came over and begged for food. So we were giving them food and we started sharing with them. They hadn't taken a bath in days and so people opened up their home and started helping them uh, get cleaned up, gave them some clothes and things like this and they started coming to church. And anyway this lady got born again. We led her to the Lord, and she got born again. And so they started coming to church. And this woman was a nice-looking woman, and she was well-built. And since they had been in a nudist colony for three years, all she had was short shorts that when she sat down, she couldn't hardly sit on her shorts and halter tops. And that's what she came to church in. That's all she had. And we sat in a semicircle. And you know what? You couldn't not look at her because we were all facing each other. And so during praise and worship, she'd go to bouncing and jumping and praising God. And it just left little to the imagination. And some of my Pentecostal people in that church were just, oh, they were, you know, praising God like this. And all the guys were like that. And, and anyway, it was causing some problems. And so I had some people come and say, aren't you going to tell her that she needs to put on some clothes and do this and do this? And I said, we didn't tell her that before she got born again. We didn't throw a sheet over her and tell her that God wouldn't save her if she didn't put some clothes on. And I said, you know, I just give her some time. She just got born again. God, you know, let her enjoy the fact that God loves her and God will show her things. And I said, I'm not going to sit there and condemn her. And so we allowed this woman to keep coming to church. And I don't remember how long it was. Do you? It was not, huh? I think maybe a couple of weeks. It wasn't too long. And she came to one of Jamie's Bible studies. And Jamie was conducting a Bible study. And she stood up and she just told the women. 
She says, you know, I have never owned a dress in all of my life. And she says, you know, I would really like to have a dress. I've never had a dress. Would y'all pray with me? (laughs) They not only prayed with her, but within an hour after that Bible study, she had a dozen dresses that were all up to here and all the way down to the floor. And she came to church that night showing off her dress and just praising God. Look what God did. And you know what? She never had somebody tell her that God's angry at you and God doesn't love you because of the way you dress. And it worked out. But most people would sit there and say, cover up and do this and stuff instead of just letting God love her and speak to her. You know, it takes a little while to turn your life around. And she got saved, her husband got saved. I mean, it was a miraculous conversion. Some great things happened. But religion, see, just wants to deal with the external and we want to put them into our clothes and make them as drab as we are and do all this kind of stuff so that we feel better. And it doesn't really matter what's going on in their heart. God's not like that. Let me say it this way. Did you know what? With that woman coming to church in her halter top and short shorts... God was more pleased with her than he is some of you that have never dressed that way because her heart was right. She was in love with God and she was worshiping God and God looked at her and said, awesome. I was ministering in Phoenix and there was a little girl. I think Charlie and Jill were with me and we were ministering in Phoenix and there was a woman sitting on the front row that I mean literally would bounce up and down like this while I was preaching. She was so excited (laughs) And so I went over and talked to her and she'd just been born again for a month. And so I asked her to come up and give a testimony. And she got up in front of the group and I mean every third or fourth word was profanity. She blasted, cursed, damned everything. She said words I didn't even know what they were. And she was just up here talking about, man, God is the best blankety blank thing that's ever happened to me. And this beats sex and this beats drugs and she... She was up there and she was just saying things that would make a sailor turn red. And people responded. She'd look at me and she says, am I saying something wrong? I said, nope, you're doing great. And she gave her testimony. People came up to me and said, why didn't you tell her to stop and not do that? Again, this is just religion. I'm not saying that we should use profanity, but you know, I'm, God was looking at her heart and she didn't realize that Christians didn't talk that way. I went back the next year. This woman came up to me and she says, you know, I am so sorry. I just was born again and I didn't know Christians didn't talk that way. I thought everybody talked that way. And she had learned, but you know what? God was more pleased with her up there using profanity, talking about how good he was than many of you that would never use that terminology and you've got the right religious form and yet you don't know him and you aren't excited about him. God looks at a person's heart. And if a person ever falls in love with God, don't try and squelch that and put them into your religious form and make them do this. Just encourage the love of God. And you know what? The love of God will cause them to start keeping the commandments and to do things. Man, we just got it wrong. I don't know if I'm conveying this to you properly, but we've got to change around and realize that if you've got a problem over you know, if you're committing adultery, if you lust, you can sit here and say, oh, God, help me to do this so that I'll quit operating in lust and so that I can start getting my prayers answered and so that I could go on and do this. 
No, that's totally wrong. You know what? If you're operating in lust, it's because number one, you don't love God with all of your heart. Number two, you don't love your mate. If you loved God with all of your heart and if you loved your mate, you would never do anything to hurt either one of them. And so you can sit there and one of the things that gets me is about the evangelicals. And again, I'm not against them. There's good things there, but they are so big on accountability groups and meeting together and holding yourself accountable and making sure that somebody's checking upon you and doing all of this stuff. You know what? If you would lie to God and if you, if you are going to try and sneak around and do something behind God's back, you'll find a way to be, beat that accountability group. It may be one factor. It may be something in your line of defense, but it shouldn't be your first line of defense. You know what ought to keep you on the straight and narrow is your personal relationship with God. It ought to be the fact that God loves you. That's what Joseph said in, in Genesis chapter 39 when Pharaoh's wife tried to press upon him and make him commit adultery. She, he says, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It wasn't the fact of whether he got caught or not. It wasn't, you know, about how much he had suffered and I deserved to indulge myself. It was the fact he had a personal relationship with God. That's what kept him straight. And brothers and sisters, this is what's missing in a lot of people's lives. We've got a system, a rules, and we're doing all of these things. We're practicing behavior modification. Many of you have quit smoking. You quit drinking. You quit doing things thinking that that will make you accepted with God. And yet the problem is that, you know what, in your heart, you just haven't understood how much God loved you. You haven't been enjoying it. If you fall in love with God, you'll find that these other things will fall by the wayside. Amen or oh me. I'm just trying to share with you that God loves you, independent of your performance. And if you ever really got a revelation of that, if you knew that, Boy, you would be so thankful that God Almighty, the only one who really has a right to hate you, loves you. And if you got a revelation of that, you would fall so in love with God that you know what? You'd give up bubblegum for Him if you thought that that was pleasing. You'd do anything. It wouldn't matter. Instead of sitting there and saying, how little do I have to do to be able to get God to answer my prayer? Man, it'd be just the opposite. You would be serving God with your whole heart. Brothers and sisters, God loves us. And if we were preaching the love of God, people would be laying down their life because of love. Love is a greater motivation than fear. And you don't need to be afraid that if I just start loving God, well then what's going to happen? Am I going to go out and commit sin? Nope, you'll wind up serving God more accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. You know, a friend of mine in Chicago went to preaching on, on these things and talking about the grace of God and saying you just need to love God and saying, you know what, God's not mad at you. You don't go to hell for smoking and things like this. And boy, some of the elders in the church got really upset. And within a week or two, some of the people in the church were now standing on the doorstep of the church smoking as people came in and out of church. And so the elders came to the pastor and said, see what your preaching has done? See, now they're standing out there smoking because you're saying that God loves them whether they smoke or not. And he had enough wisdom to say, go ask them, have any of them started smoking since I've been preaching this? 
And you know, there wasn't a single person who had started smoking. What had happened was they just quit being hypocritical about it and trying to hide it and using breath mints, hoping nobody could tell that they were smoking. And now that they weren't condemned, it was at least out in the open. That was the first step towards getting free. I'm not advocating that we change the standards. It's not a new commandment. It's the same thing, but it's a new method. It's instead of now quitting these things so that God will love you, I'm saying tell people that God loves them in spite of who they are, not because of who they are. Let them know about the love of God. And the love of God will cause them to start living holy. It will cause them to start doing the right things. Amen? That's what Jesus did. Jesus embraced people that were harlots, that were tax collectors, thieves, people that were rejected by the religious system. You know, if Jesus was here today, I believe he'd do just like he did in the days that we read in the Bible. He would be persecuted by the religious people. The religious people would crucify Jesus. He wouldn't last three years. I guarantee you the religious system would crucify him in a lot shorter period of time. Because Jesus loved people, extended love to them, gave love to them, totally independent of their performance. And then whether they accepted him and received that love or not is how he made covenant with them, not based on their outside uh, actions. And man, the church has just been preaching the wrong thing again because I believe that's what mankind does. We tend to look on the flesh. We need to start operating in the Spirit and loving people. And you can't give away what you don't have. First of all, you need to receive an unconditional love for yourself. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. You know, I typically don't pray with people to get a revelation of God's love because I believe God's already given it. He showed it to us in Jesus. And what most people mean when they say, Oh, I just don't feel the love of God. Would you please pray that God would show me His love? What they're wanting is some kind of a physical thing, a goosebump running up and down their spine. And you know what? I just, I think that that's offensive to God. You know what the Word says. You have all of this knowledge, but who cares what the truth is? I want to feel something. So typically, I don't pray with people for that. But right now, I feel impressed to the Lord that there are some of you that are recognizing the reason you've got these problems over here isn't because, you know, it's not a matter of trying to overcome these problems so God will love you, but it's because you've got a deficiency of revelation about the love of God on the inside. I believe that God has spoken to some of you and you realize that, God, I just need to know your love for me. I need a spiritual revelation, not a goosebump not a feeling, something emotional that you cannot keep, but a spiritual revelation. God, I want to see your love for me. And I can promise you, if you were to ever see that love, it would just transform your life. That's the way it happened for me. And so tonight, what I want to ask is, if you're one of those, and again, everybody needs a greater revelation of the love of God. So everybody could stand up. But I'm asking specifically for people that you have been convicted that, you know what, God... I have just been going at this all wrong. I'm trying to change from the outside in instead of the inside out. And you recognize that you just don't have a working revelation of the love of God and you need a miracle. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is here tonight to set you free. And so I want to ask those of you that would be honest enough to say, man, I don't have a revelation of this. I need a total transformation. I need to be healed of this spiritual dyslexia. I need to get a revelation of God's love. 
You know, if that's you, I'd like you to just stand right where you are and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I believe that God's going to do a miracle in here tonight. I believe God's going to transform you from the inside out. Amen. Again, everybody could use this to some degree, but I'm talking about people that you realize this isn't just, you need a little help, you need a greater revelation. You just need a revelation, period, of the fact that God loves you completely separate, independent of anything you've ever done. And if you get a spiritual revelation of that and start walking in this unconditional love, it'll change your actions. It'll set you free from things. Perfect love will cast out fear. Anybody else? Praise God. I know some of you are probably thinking, oh man, if I stand up, what are people going to think about me? You need to quit worrying about what people think about you. I believe that the Holy Spirit is here moving and touching people's lives. The Bible says faith without works is dead. I'm not asking you to do anything big. I'm just asking you to stand up and humble yourself. This is a minimum thing to ask. You need to be bold. These are people that love you. People be excited about it. And if it's somebody that you know, your husband or your wife, I guarantee you they're praying that you'll stand up so you don't have to worry about it. Anybody else? I'm going to specifically pray that this won't work if you're seated. If you're going to receive this, you've got to humble yourself and stand and receive it. There isn't going to be any bootleg prayer here. You're going to have to openly stand and receive this. Anybody else? Praise God. Man, I want you to believe God and be ready. I believe God's going to do a miracle for you. You know, God touched my life and transformed me. And I believe that he's no respecter of persons. The same thing that he's done for me, he'll do it for anybody if you just really open up your heart and receive this. Father, I thank you for all these people that are standing right now. Father, all these people are saying that our focus has been on the outside. We've been trying to stop all of these actions to clean up things on the outside And Father, tonight we have a revelation that it's not that way at all, that it's just a matter of receiving your love. Father, we want to know you. Father, we want a revelation of your love. Father, we are asking, as the Scripture promises, that the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, when He has come, He will teach us all things, lead us into all truth, and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever you have spoken to us. Father, I'm believing that right now you are revealing yourself through the Holy Spirit to these people. Father, showing them your unconditional love for them. Father, the guilt, the shame, the confusion, condemnation that works mentality has produced on the inside. Father, I believe that you're breaking that down right now and that they are seeing that you love them just because you are love. Father, I release this. I loose a revelation of your supernatural God kind of love towards people. And Father, I thank you that right now there's a seed being planted in them that's going to grow. And that, Father, as they meditate on these things, that they are going to come to a deeper conviction, a deeper revelation of your unconditional love for them. And that, Father, that love would cause them to start living right and to break these 
bondages and these things that are going on in their life. Father, we just receive this love. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, some of you have been abused and hurt by other people. And you are transposing those things onto God, thinking that God treats you the way other people have treated you. It's just totally wrong. There's, it's irrational for you to be mad at God for the way other people have treated you. God isn't like that. God doesn't control all of those things. God is a good God. He's been faithful to you. God has never failed you. Father, we just proclaim your faithfulness. We proclaim your goodness. Father, we ask your forgiveness for swallowing alive the devil that you love us only when we're lovely, only when we've done things right. Father, forgive us for not searching it out in the scripture and allowing ourselves to be deceived. I believe that you are setting people free from all these religious bondages and that, Father, we are beginning to experience the unconditional love of God here tonight. Father, we just thank you. I break these religious bondages, these religious strongholds that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. We release our spiritual weapons and cast that stuff down and believe that every thought is coming into captivity and under obedience to Christ. Father, I thank you that these truths we've talked about this weekend, that they they are going to just be brought back to our remembrance by the Holy Spirit. That the Word of God is going to burn on the inside of us until it burns out this wrong thinking and that we come to know you as a good, merciful, kind, heavenly Father who has placed all of our judgment upon Jesus. Father, I thank you and I pray these things for these people and I believe that a miracle is taking place. Father, we thank you for that. We agree and we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all receive that? Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. You know, it's a progressive thing. I had that encounter with the Lord March the 23rd, 1968, but I have grown tremendously in what God has done. I had an emotional experience, but you know, emotions don't last forever. If I hadn't gotten the truth and had begun to meditate on it and learn these things, I would have long since lost that experience, that feeling and emotion. But I can promise you that gaining the truth, the truth is what sets you free. And if you can get established in this truth, then it doesn't matter how you feel. You can minister the truth to yourself and control yourself. And you can enjoy the presence of God even if you don't have a goosebump going up and down. The love of God is not a feeling. It's a revelation. And that revelation can produce feelings. But feelings come and go. The revelation doesn't. And so praise God. If you prayed that prayer, I believe something has begun. You go to the Word of God. You start praying and seeking and God is going to reveal. If you seek, you find. God will reveal His love to you and I believe you're going to come into a new depth of relationship. Tonight, let me ask if there's anybody here who's not born again. Even if you stood just a moment ago.